I'm Dulce Sloan, and welcome to That Black-Ass Show, a podcast celebrating the Black TV shows, movies, plays, and all types of Black content that have and continue to shape the world. This week, we're talking about The Cosby Show. Created by Bill Cosby, Ed Weinberg, and Michael Leeson, the show was an intimate look at the daily lives of the Huxley family. From 1984 to 1982, America watched the four seasons as Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable, played by Bill Cosby, and a high-powered attorney, Claire Huxtable, played by Felicia Rashad, raised their five kids. Their kids included Sandra, Denise, Theo, Vanessa, and Rudy. And while we won't go into depth about the three to 10 year sentence that Bill Cosby is serving for sexual assault, we will explore how we as a nation and as individuals view the legacy of The Cosby Show. Today's guest is comedian, actor, writer, and my buddy, Sam J. Originally from Boston, Stand-up comic Sam Jay is an Emmy-nominated writer for Saturday Night Live and frequently appears in sketches. In 2018, she made her Netflix debut on the comedy lineup and released her debut album, Donna's Daughter. All right, let's start the show. Why did you choose the Cosby Show to discuss today? Um... Honestly, I've, I've been watching so much of it in this quarantine because it's on uh, Amazon right now on Prime, mm. and it's every season. And um, but also, it's just one of my favorite shows in in the whole wide world. And uh, for a black show, I think it's probably top five ever created. Well, I mentioned the show a couple of times in reference to, um, because people are always like, you know, the Cosby Show was the first time I ever saw like a black doctor or a black lawyer. And I've heard black people say this and I'm like, well, that's a different experience than me. Cause I grew up in Atlanta. So I had black doctors growing up. I would see black lawyers on billboards on the phone book and stuff. But I do understand the significance to us and to, you know, America as a whole. Cause maybe that was the first time that a lot of people in the country, especially white people saw a black doctor or a black lawyer. I think, I think people meant like I, I know it wasn't the first time but it didn't introduce the idea to me that black people could be doctors or lawyers or right like that I, I understood that, that was possible and I understood that those type of people existed but I had never seen it on TV and right. I had never seen a, a, a family nucleus of of blackness like that I had right. never seen it like that on television ever in my life where it 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 was just a, a, a naturally black show. It wasn't, it wasn't stating it was black. It wasn't mm-hmm. telling it was black. It was just black because the family was black, you know? And I had never like, seen anything like that. Well, cause it's interesting. Cause sometimes when it's like black shows, they're just like, they spend all day, every day telling you, this is black, we're a black show, we're black people. And I think I kind of liked the shows where it was just like, you could have inserted any family of any background into right. the situation. That's why I mean it was black because they were black. So they had black traditions and they talked about, you know, black jazz artists and they talked about HBCUs and mm-hmm. they because they were black. You know what I mean? But it wasn't black because it needed to like make a point. It made all the points very subtly. Now I do have one question. Do you think they needed five kids? Because I thought yeah, it was perfect. I thought it was too many kids. 
It was perfect because if you if you watch it, every kid was different and they were they were they they perfectly executed following those storylines from child to adult. It's like by the time Vanessa's in about fifth or sixth grade, she starts to become difficult. Mm-hmm. And she's their most difficult child. She did the right. most lying. She did the most deceiving. She mm-hmm. wore the makeup she wasn't supposed to. She got drunk at her friend's house. She went to go see the wretched. And that's why by the time that she goes and runs off to see the wretched, Claire is fed up and also concerned. Because mm-hmm. she's like, this girl has a pattern of this behavior. And it was like showing this perfect family dynamic that like every kid is going to be different and every kid's going to have their thing. Well, um, because the kids were, so it was Serena LaBeouf as Sandra Huxtable. uh, Sandra. Sandra, excuse me. Sandra uh, Huxtable Thibodeau. uh, Lisa Bonet as Denise Huxtable. That married Elvin. And Elvin was always mm, problematic. Uh, (laughs) Lisa Bonet was Denise Huxtable. Uh, yep. Malcolm Jamal Warner was Theo. Tempest mm-hmm. Bledsoe was Vanessa. And Keisha Knight Pulliam played Rudy. Now, mm-hmm. I do know a question that I would get from uh, white people a lot. They would ask about the complexion of the kids. Mm-hmm. And they would ask me, you know, how come the kids are all different colors when the parents are about the same? And it was always a fun conversation to have to have to explain to white people that that's what happens with black children is that you never know what color your kids are going to be. For so sure. We, right. So when we saw it, we were like, oh, yeah, those would all be their kids. But I had. But also, but also like, I felt the same way. I mean, the, the definitely the color spectrum was wide. I feel like even for a black family, it wouldn't have varied that much. I think to some point, people just got to understand it's fucking television and right. they needed to catch people like. What do you? Right. I don't think it was any deeper than a casting decision, and those people worked. Right, because when I look at my family, it's you know my mother is very light skinned. You met my mom before, right? Mm-hmm. So my mom is very light skinned, but my grandpa's my complexion, and her dad's my complexion, and then my grandmother was darker than all of us, mm-hmm. but my mom's that light, and so. Yeah. Because my mom's lighter than me and my brother. And so when I saw that, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is my mom and all of her brothers. Because all of her brothers are different. Right. I mean, it really can happen. Right. It's not something that doesn't happen. But it's also just like, I think that... It's casting. Yeah. And I don't think that at that time of television, they were as savvy, nor did audiences care as much. I feel like audiences are way more particular now and they pay attention to that type of stuff. And I think back then it was just exciting to see what it was, period. So that kind of stuff, people weren't like caught up on as much. Yeah, I think we we pay a lot more attention to the casting of a family on a TV show right. now. Which is right. like, what well, are the kids and are the parents? Like, is everyone showing all the different shades? And yeah. I understand- I they were that concerned back then. No, they were just like, let's get this on the air. Let's do this. So what were your, some of your favorite moments from the show? Favorite moments? I mean, I, my favorite episodes, of course, are like uh, Theo, Theo airing episode, when Theo got the airing. Mm. Um, the, uh, of course, with Vanessa with the See the Wretched. Uh, that's a great one. Um, How Ugly Is He? A lot of the first season was fun when Denise brought her boyfriend home. Uh, the, the 50th birthday. 
uh, is that when they sing the song to the grandparents or no, that's, uh, that's uh, Cliff's birthday. The grandparents is uh, the anniversary. Golden. Oh, anniversary, so what they do for? Great. Yeah, because that's when they limp. Uh, they lip sync the time is right. Uh, Nighttime is the right time by Ray Charles. Yeah, Rudy comes out with the baby. Baby, what a that was absolutely great. But what great. was the um, and then, dance mania? I don't remember that one. When Thiel and Cockroach are supposed to go on this dance like Soul Train type show, but oh. they can only get one of them in, and then the, and then Cockroach goes in, and then Thiel's mad. Oh, okay, I remember they that. There's always also, I was not aware that the show was on for eight seasons. Yeah, Cousin Pam comes. So yeah, Eric Alexander plays Cousin Pam. And then um, Bud was always a favorite. I did like their friend um, Peter, the little chubby white boy. Second, third season, yeah. That's one of my favorite episodes, the juicer episode, when they try to make jelly in the juicer. Oh, yeah. Because when anything, when anytime anything was up, that little boy was out the yeah. door. Yeah. He's like, I'm not getting caught up in this. I do love uh, that. Like, so when Vanessa goes to see, goes to see the band, she gets caught and she's talking real wild to Claire. And there's this really great moment where Claire goes to run at her and Cliff just catches her and she's yeah. just standing there like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to yeah. kill you. That's when Vanessa gets really scared and she goes upstairs. But that's when Claire was at her fed up. That's what I'm talking about because Vanessa had been problems. And that's when Claire had like reached her limit. Right. Because I think sometimes, because people would say, you know, that this show doesn't accurately portray like black parents disciplining children. Well, that was stupid. And it's like, I don't think all of us got whooped. I don't think, also, they're not going to show you whooping kids on TV. Like, but also, they didn't seem like the type of parents that would mother, whoop kids. My mother beat me twice in my whole life. Oh, that's fine. My entire life, I got two whoopings in my whole life. And the second time I went, I was like 12 and I went out to play and didn't come home to like, it was dark. And my mother hadn't seen me the entire day. Oh. She had thought something happened to me. So like... Very justifiable whooping. And then when I was real little for some shit, I don't even fucking remember. But I didn't get beat a lot. I don't, everybody doesn't get beatings. Yeah, because I remember like my friends, I, I think um, one of my black ass confessions on another episode was that uh, my grandmother didn't whoop me. Uh, she would hire my grandmother never hit me in my life. My grandmother didn't hit me either. And if there was ever a moment- your grandmother hit you? Oh, I know so many people that grandmas used to tear them up. Grandmas, aunties. They had like mothers though? Yeah. Like anybody in uh, the family. Uh, that doesn't sense to me. My grandmother never hit me ever in my life. My grandmother has never put a hand on me. That wasn't a hug or a kiss or mm-hmm. loving. My grandmother ain't never hit me. And That's crazy. T- yeah. And the times that my grandmother did want to because you know we were little and we would break something or we do something we weren't supposed to do or say something we weren't supposed to say my grandma would just turn to my mother and be like i need you to whoop these kids i'm not going to my, my grandmother raised five kids and four of them were boys she's like I'm, not, I'm out of the whooping's business i'm done i'm retired i'm retired from work i'm retired from whooping and she would just turn to my mother and go marianne i need you to whoop dudes and lawrence my, my grandma was like i'm not doing this 
also my family, we don't. My grandmother up- never ordered a beating on me either. That's still kind of bad to get a hit ordered on you by your grandma. <laughs> but my grandma like- never ordered no whoopings. She would just talk to us and then like, nah. if she didn't want to deal with us no more, just send us to a room or something. We, I mean, she was also like, you had such a level of respect. Like, my grandmother's watching me, even if I'm doing something she don't want me to do. Right. It's like, it's your grandmother. It's like, right. I'm just going to do it. Or if I give her a little resistance and she, like, get in your room, I'm not going to be like, no. I'm going to just go in my room and be mad till my mom come. You know what I'm saying? And come get me. And then my, my grandmother might tell my mother what I did. Right. And then my mother might, when we get home, be like, what the hell was you doing? Da, 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 da. But she never was like, be her. <laughs> it never hit me. <laughs> it never, it didn't, I mean, it only happened like, I mean, we used to live with my grandma when we moved back to Miami. So, you know, going well, to visit, right. See, when you go to visit your grandma, you're like, all right, staunch, pull it. But I'm like, we live with you? That's gonna, you know, because you go to see your grandma for a couple days and you leave so you can be at your most respectful and most honorable. <laughs> but I live here every day. Yeah, okay, no, that's, like, different. that's different. You're um, gonna sure. What'd you say? You're going to bump heads. I lived with my grandmother when I was like 15. It was not easy. All right, y'all. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back. Hope you've been enjoying the show so far. Let's get back into it. I do want to talk about the problematic character that was Elvin Thibodeau, who was El- Sandra, who was, play, who was uh, Sandra's boyfriend. Well, becomes husband, friend, fiance, husband, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Owens. Um, because I love the episode where you know she gets where Claire gets Cliff uh, a cup of coffee and women's work and his men's work, yeah. Where he's like, he, it's the he's comments on how he how surprised he was to see Mrs. Huxtable get Mr. Huxtable a cup of coffee and. Because she was good for a read now. She was real good for a read. She was real good to tell you who you are, what you are doing wrong. A polite read, too. And see, and I love a polite read. Yeah. I love She's, a polite uh, read. Felicia Rashad is... I'm in love with her. Well, I do love with her character because, you know, in the early seasons, I think she was helping with uh, Cliff because Cliff was a gynecologist in the office... In a, um, oh, he was OBGYN. I don't know if I know how to say obstetrician. It's obstetrician, right? I feel like it is. I mean, I've not been blessed with a child yet, so I'm not fully aware of that word. Um, but I think she was helping out in the, in the um, clinic one time, and she's speaking Spanish to one of his patients. And another patient was like, how does she? She's like, oh, I'm fluent in Spanish. And again, it was like, not only is this a, you know, a very educated woman and mother, She's also bilingual. So, and they only, they only really like play it up like in the first couple of seasons. And I was like, oh yeah, black people can know more than one language. We can know a bunch of shit. Cause it seemed like after a while, they, once the kids got older and I think they could do more with them, they kind of started leaning away from Cliff and Claire's job. Because his office was in the basement of the, the house, house, right? Yeah. And then it felt like it wasn't all of a sudden. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. I think they just, I think it just, like any show, it just grew and they got more richer stories without ne- necessarily needing that as a, a catalyst. But, you know, when you watch season one, you see Claire go to court 
you know, I don't think you see that that often. Uh-uh. After that. You know what I mean? So I think they were just, you know, establishing the world. Right. Because that scene with Elvin and, and them always having to update Elvin on his... Uh, chauvinism. Chauvinism and kind of like outdated views. And, you know, he's like, he's like, I get him coffee because he gets me coffee. Why do you... I'm not his servant. I'm not his maid. We're, we're partners. I'm his wife. So, and also to be seeing that in somebody that your daughter is dating mm-hmm. and very seriously dating, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, we don't want her getting caught up in this foolishness. So but I think that, that was the point was that they were confident in how they raised their children. So mm-hmm. they were confident in the decisions that their children were going to make. And they, they knew they raised her not to be treated that way. So regardless of what he's representing, they know that Sandra's not going to allow herself to be treated like that because she knows better. That makes sense. I think, well, it's, hmm. I think that's an interesting thing to talk, like to talk about as like a parent, because it's just like, you know, you have to be confident in what you taught your children and how you raised your children. At some point, yeah, you got to send them out into the world and you got to trust that you gave them the right tools and that they're going to be okay. You got to just believe that. Other than that, the other option is to smother them to death. You know, eventually you just got to let them go and make those decisions and go, I gave you everything you need, you know, and just hope that they know how and when to pull on those things. Because I think we all know people who, whose parents were too hands-on and whose parents were too hands off. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a hard job. I think everybody yeah. fucks it up. I mean, I think I everybody think, fucks it up. Yeah. It's, it's hard they, to do. It's, it's like emotional alchemy. It's like, how the mm. fuck do I, <laughs> you gotta fucking have the exact precise right recipe. And like, it's putting a little bit of this in and taking a little bit out and putting a little of this in and then, oh, they need more of this right now, but they need less of this. It's like, that shit is hard. It's got to be hard, especially like if you know your person, because you never know what personality your child is going to be. You never know, and I think that see, and that may okay, so that makes sense that they had all of them kids because you could get Cassandra was the very studious one. Uh, that different so, shit from everybody. Uh, Denise was kind of artsy. Vanessa was a problem. Um, Denise was uh, flitty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sandra was like, knew where she was going in life and knew what she wanted to do right away. And Denise was more all over the place. And Vanessa was just rebellious. Theo mm-hmm. ended up having a learning disability. And that's yeah. he was having issues. You know, and even that was such a perfectly planted seed. From the first season, he's a troubled student. Mm-hmm. And then find out when he's in college and now he wants to excel and he wants to do well and he's studying real hard and it's still not coming together for him. And out of his own frustration, he goes to find out what's wrong with him and finds mm-hmm. out that he's dyslexic. And now you have this whole connection for five seasons of like, yeah. oh, that's what was going on the whole time. And even that's a great episode because Vanessa even says that. She's like, she guilt trips them like, Dad, you guys must feel really bad. All those years you've been hard on him, tell him he's lazy and he don't want to study. He was dyslexic this whole time, you know? Which is rude of her, by the way, but if you're the rebellious <laughs> one, that's what but you do. Like, 
hey, mom and dad, don't you feel bad about being mean to my brother? And it's like, bitch, you, we didn't, we just right. learned about this. We just but learned. But she's also saying something true. She's also <laughs> so saying something like, true. It was really cool to watch that, that just, their, the writing is just great. The writing is great. And it's nice to have that you can, because like in the pilot episode is the episode where Fields got the Monopoly money and he's trying to convince his dad that he doesn't, That's not the pilot. Wait, wait, the pilot is Fields. Not the money, because the pilot is Fields trying to convince his father he doesn't need to graduate because he's not going to college. And then the that's not the, that's not that episode that he uh with the money. I'm, okay, I'm getting them confused. You're talking about the episode where he's like he got it all covered. They 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 change the house into a like there's a store downstairs and they charge him for all his meals and he's oh. got to how to live in the real world and like uh Vanessa becomes Denise Farquhar and Millie and Claire's Millie and she runs the kitchen so he goes to eat and he thinks he's just eating at his house and then they hit him with a bill. And that episode, which is not the pilot. The pilot was like, I can't remember the fucking pilot, but the pilot. Give me two seconds. Because I thought that was. I, that's not the pilot. Also, I was having, you know, I didn't know it was on Amazon now because, you know, they had, uh, they've taken everything. They took a lot of the stuff down. So. Hold on. Because there's, oh, I remember Goodbye, Mr. Fish. When they have to have the, uh. The funeral for Rudy's fish. That's also the first time I ever saw a toilet with a pole chain. Because they were doing that episode and I was like, wait. I'm looking at the house like, what the hell is this toilet about? Hold on. Let me... So I want to make sure. I do also love that... Because uh, where did they... They lived in Brooklyn, right? In the show? Yeah, they lived in Brooklyn. It's funny because it's like, it seems like a lot of shows were put in Brooklyn. And, you know, I was talking about living single with some people talk about, you know, Brooklyn at that time and how is it different from now? And for me, I didn't come to, first time I ever came to New York, I was in my, like 21. And we never, we even went into Brooklyn. I was just in Manhattan. So I don't think I have a reference for Brooklyn, but what part of Brooklyn do you think they were in? They said it's a fictional part that they said, but I don't know. I feel like over, like when I go to see Carrie Cadet, her neighborhood looks like that Brooklyn. <laughs> I don't know where she lives, but it's just brownstones, brownstones, brownstones. Every time I go up her street, I'm like, oh, it's like a Cosby Show street. So like a brown, so because then the, and then you know being you know growing up in the south, everybody lives in apartments or live in a house. Maybe a condo. So when they were saying brownstone, even on Living Single, I was like, I have no reference for whatever these things are. But the, a brownstone is just a townhouse, right? A brownstone is, yeah, basically. Basically. From what for what you understand, yeah. Because you okay. feel yourself. Thank you. Because listen, I still don't know what the fuck a borough is. I don't understand how this is a part of a city. I don't understand how a borough is in a county. Um, I don't know what a township is. There's a lot of characterizations <laughs> of geography in the North that I don't get. I'm either in the city, or I'm in a county, or I'm in a state. Right. All of this extra shit that y'all is doing, and then the fact that, like, New York's five boroughs, but then there's smaller little right. cities. So it's like, we live in the borough of Queens, but then you're in 
like uh, Long Island ceiling, I'm an Astoria. Are these cities in the boroughs, but then New York is the whole city? Well, New York is the state. But it's still New York City. Yeah, and then it's New York City. And then you live in Queens, New York. I, I feel like Queens is its own, like you have Manhattan. Those are all the different boroughs, yeah. Right, but I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to make it make sense to me, is what I'm trying what to do. Trying to I'm trying to understand how a borough works because we're still in a county even though this is borough right you know what i don't plan to live here much longer i really don't need this information because honestly I, I don't i don't really know either because like i this is just separated differently you know what i'm saying like um i feel like even in massachusetts it's not like that it's just like you live in boston and then like Boston is the city, but then I guess it's kind of shame because I I'm from the city of Boston, but I'm from Dorchester. That's like the neighborhood I live in, you know, because it's like Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan. Those are all parts of Boston, right? But that's not within Atlanta. I mean, we don't know East. Like I understand it's because there's the West End. Midtown, the- you live what? in Midtown, or you can live. You know what I'm saying? It's no different, than right? That. But it's still parts of a city. It's the borough thing in between that fucks with me. That's where I get because if all of this was New York City, I just think that you're not thinking about you just you're not you're not equating like a size of these areas and density too. I think that matters like population. Well, and you have to size. categorize more when there's more people. Oh, that's what I'm saying. So I think you just need to look at the boroughs as a neighborhood. Ooh. That's all the borough is. But it's just so many motherfucking people that they become like their own populations okay so the pilot also known as see, that, that, that makes <laughs> sense i had to figure out this pilot shit but you're right that makes sense it's you needed extra categories because there's 8.5 million people living at 300 square miles we need to know where you niggas is at i guess that's what i'm thinking which is also too many humans when you really truly think about it um yeah so the pilot also known as Theo's economic lesson is a pilot in the first episode of the first season. Um, so basically, Theo's poor card had four Ds, which upset Claire. And Theo attempts to pacify Cliff by letting him know that since that he did not intend to go to college. His low mm-hmm. grades didn't matter. His reasoning is that he has a destiny to be a regular person. And it yeah, a- okay, yeah, he's just going to be a regular person. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. In an attempt to guide his son by an uh, analogy, Cliffs gives father advice by using Monopoly money. So the Monopoly money is the pilot. Yeah, but this isn't the one where he was, he he puts it in his hand and then he takes some away. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He was like, well, do you plan oh, to have a girlfriend? And then yeah, he takes all the rest of the money away. away. It wasn't the one where they like made the whole world. I thought that's what you were saying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, yeah. He yeah, puts that was, in his hand Yeah, that was my favorite part of the whole thing. He was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. He's like, he takes the money. He's like, I can live off of, you know, chips and bologna, takes the money back. And it was like, Plan to have a girlfriend? Of course. Zero dollars. And he's like, oh, okay. Let me, let me start working and figuring this out. It's interesting because it's like you, I think sometimes for me that there was, there were shows that were, there were shows that were so significant to people and there were shows that I think that might have been 
that become more significant to society. Because I think the Cosby show was one of those shows where like everybody watched this show. Like this was one of the black shows that I heard white people talk about all of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting, I think that's an interesting thing, but I think because how you were saying that since the show was made so it was a show with black people in it, not a quote unquote black show. Yeah. People could see themselves in the come on, Frederick Douglass part. Um people I'm playing could, around. I was like, how's it gonna look if I Frederick Douglass it? Yo, man, uh, something about a part. I watched Five Heartbeats the other day. Something about a side part in an afro. It really lets you know that somebody is really determined to give you a real look. Bro, it's a move. This shit it's is- a move. It's a move. I honestly <laughs> feel like you could pull it off. I distinctly think that you can. It's a move. I don't think I want to try. Listen, there's, you can try anything. We're in quarantine. Put that part in it. Put a little Murray's grease on it. Walk around the house. Try. Y'all wants to give me finger waves. Oh, you should let her do it. You ain't going to, why not? You ain't going nowhere. Try it. Say, she wants to give me a perm and then give me finger waves. Like, no. You could do a finger waves without a perm. I don't think so. Not the way she want them. She want them laid. Oh, she want them like 90s lot of body weight? Yeah, she want them. Oh, no. You need it. That's day one perm. That For them finger waves right there? Yeah, with the comb when it be like. Oh no, Jack! That's gonna be. <laughs> and then since your hair, because you're uh, on a short style, once it starts to grow out even a little bit, you gotta perm it immediately. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's gone. Yeah, um, no, I'm not with it. Now, this is a show that helped. Apparently, NBC was struggling at the time, and it helped save the network. And I think if any show, because think about it, once after, once your first season goes by and it's one of the top rated shows, your advertisers are going to swoop in and that's when you can get your money back up. But it's interesting that a black show saved the network. It was funny. It's still funny. I watch it now. I know every joke. I know every episode by heart. So there's no punchline that comes that I don't know is coming. There's mm. no thing that happened that I don't know is going to happen. And I still laugh hard as fuck. Every time. Like, like genuine laugh. Like, it's just funny. I was just watching an episode and I had sent a clip to the homies of uh, the clips outside. And he got them all cut in the tree. Mm. He acted like the saw is so powerful, but it ain't really doing anything. Mm-hmm. He's like, turn away, turn away. And then Claire comes out. And he's like, don't you walk out here with all this stuff flying all around. It's hilarious because nothing's flying, but he's just so intent that he's doing something. And it's like, it's just this little simple comedy. It's like such a smart, easy, like lob stuff, it seems like. But he's so good at layering and like investing in the people so much that you're like when cliff does this it's funny it's not just funny because it's funny it's cliff when claire reacts that way it's funny well i do kind of like that there were a lot of episodes where it seemed like that he was actually the straight man in the scene and it kind of seems to not to say that it jumped around but i think that there were 
I think it's because a lot of times with shows, it's this is always the person who's telling the joke. This is always the person who's a straight man. And I think with that show, a lot of times it would be, even though it was his show, there were a lot of times where in certain scenes, like when, you know, Claire's going at Elvin, he's just like, okay, let me watch my wife work. And then just kind of like slid back. But even that would be funny. Yeah. That movie would be so funny because you you just understood everything that was going on. And so it was like the dynamics were so clear. That's what I'm trying to say. They made the dynamics between everybody so clear that you could pass the jokes around. I think one of my favorite moments is when um, the Thanksgiving episode when, and it's storming outside and they keep sending Cliff to the store. And every time he comes back. I'm watching today. You just brought that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what for tonight. That shit's funny. Every time he comes back, he's more wet. He's more upset because you're because you mean, I mean, I think people forget that when oh, we were kids on Thanksgiving and Christmas, everything was closed. Everything it was, was hard. Closed. It's like crazy to go get something. Yeah, like during that time, it's like that's crazy to send someone to the store. Mm-hmm. And it was just that such a perfectly. And again, he was just so good at that type of shit. He doesn't talk much. Mm-mm. It's just his face going in, the way he leaves, the way he comes back in, the way he leaves. That's so fucking funny. Because I think the last time he leaves, he doesn't even take his coat off. So, yeah, it, he just turns right back around. He just turns right back around. He's like, I know what time yeah. it is. It's um, so funny. It's and, the so door, and the door keeps flying open. Every time the storm is worse, it's more leaves blowing in the house. The door's harder. The lightning's harder. The storm's crazier. Another good one was uh, Sandra and Elvin's first apartment. When they go visit them in that that messed up apartment. Oh. And, and um, the, the microwave blows open. And it's, it's like their first apartment. And it's trash. It's funny. I remember seeing they that. As, dinner. I remember seeing that as a kid and going, "Okay, so you can't live in New York if you don't have money." Okay, <laughs> that's all the episodes. And then the episode of living. But single. now that I live in New York, I'm like, they wasn't even being extreme. No, that was the same <laughs> for like, well, America. New York is crazy, so that wasn't even like that far away from some real shit that could be happening. Because that apartment um, that, uh, like, just an example of a wild-ass, more true New York apartment that's trash is, like, have you watched, like, the like the first season of Mrs. Maisel? I haven't watched Maisel yet at all. It's that lady, the lady who does her, uh, man- the lady who plays her manager, mm-hmm. the apartment they have her in, she can literally turn on the stove from the shower. And every time I see apartments like that, I'm like, who allowed this to get built? Who? Because there has to be, somebody has to come in and expect buildings after they're done. So another adult, let another adult put a shower next to a gas stove and was completely okay with it. And I was like, this is why y'all live like monsters. This is why y'all act like this. Because you could take a shower and cook. Now, I understand. You still hate New York? I'm Sam, it don't change though. If that's so, come on. I love New York. Listen, I was hating New York with you when I first got here, but yes. I think you're a little, I think you're bugging out if you still hate New York, dog. Listen, this is what I can say. I refuse. It's great. To I refuse to fall in love with my captor. Um, I will not have this. You have Stockholm syndrome, but you also nah, have, New York is great. 
it's fine. It's fine. Um, who were some of your favorite characters on the show? Uh, Felice Rashad, Claire Hustle is probably, yeah, I love her. Uh-huh. Um, when I was a kid, I was into Rudy, but I think it's because I was a kid and she was a kid. So, yeah. Like, but as an adult, uh, I, I watch it now. It's really just Claire and Cliff. I just mm-hmm. love watching their dynamic. And then I feel like from their dynamic, everything trickles down, you know? Uh, yeah. I do. I, I like the, um, who, who's the dude? I like uh, when the professor came from um, Hillman when they played Pinochle with his dad and his dad's friend. What is Pinochle? Is that the card game? It's some type of card game. I don't know how to play that. That and Gin um, Rummy. I've heard about these two games my whole life, and I'm I like... I play Gin, but I don't know how to play Pinochle. Um, who was another good character? Let's see. There was oh, it a... Bud. Of course, Bud. Bud was great. Um, I don't Love know if you Bud. ever watched the show Psych, but uh, Dulé Hill's character, they always had a running bit with him where he would pick up women by telling them that he was Bud from the Cosby show. Oh, really? Like, that was just a running thing for him for his character. And I was like, what a funny, what a silly little thing for him to be rolling up to a woman in 2005 going, well, you know, I was Bud from the Cosby show. It's like, what I kind of pickup line is this? And I liked uh, Cousin Pam's friend that talked real fast. Oh, Charmaine? I liked Charmaine. Because Charmaine ended up being on a different world. Um, yeah, yeah, she was good. She was good. Because it's like, because also, but the Cosby show was the first time I ever heard about, I mean, I lived in Atlanta, so I heard about these schools as kids, but I did not really, I didn't understand. I think the Cosby show was the first time I had ever understood the uh, the impact of an HBCU. Because, mm-hmm. like, we had stuff, like, I mean, like, the United Negro College Funds would do stuff with the radio station and all this other stuff, and there was always something going on. And, you know, one of my aunts went to, you didn't know anybody who didn't go to one of because you went to Clark, right? Eh. But I think that was the first time I really understood. I think the grandparents came one time and were talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first time I'd ever really understood uh, what the legacy of going to an HBCU could be. I think that's what it was. So I knew what they were as a concept, and I knew black people went to those schools because we couldn't go to regular college. We all knew that. Well, white schools. So, but I think they kind of showed what the legacy was right. of Agreed. going to an HBCU. Because I didn't, I mean, I was little, I didn't understand. I do also remember being uh, disappointed as a kid when I found out that Hillman wasn't a real school. Yeah, it's not a real place. I think that fucked up a lot of people from my generation because we really thought we was going to go to Hillman. It's like, I definitely thought it was a real place. Because y'all was wearing sweatshirts and shit. I also thought McDowell's was a real restaurant, so. You know what? I'd never been to New York, and I did too. And I was like, wow, y'all are shady. In New York, I was driving with my mom. We were driving to D.C., actually, to go to the Smithsonian's and shit. So I've been a little museum person. I love museums. To go to Smithsonian, and I own. And we drove past Queens Boulevard, like, highway sign. And I was like, oh, Ma, can we get off here and go to McDowell's? Because I remember that the address was whatever Queens Boulevard. Right. And she was like, that's not real. And oh. I was like, 
for real. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, damn. You're telling me this movie lied to me? I was like, fuck. That is, and see, I got to say, there's so many times as a kid where you found out, like, all right, let me get this straight. This is not real, but y'all got a whole building and everything. But we never see like I knew that I knew that exactly. That's what it was. It wasn't like I was stupid. I didn't think like John Amos worked there, mm-hmm. but I thought the building existed. Right. It was there. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all built a so whole. We could go see it. You know what I mean? And it was right. like nah. The like, movie was oh. popular. You built this building. It's got to be a place that exists. Yeah, I was like, that's fucked up. But at that age, I didn't know a lot about sets. I just right. thought everything was like they found shit. You know, I don't know how I thought, but I didn't know shit about sets like that. That's well, another dope thing about the Cosby show. Is it, it probably has one of the most intricate sets that I've seen ever. It may be in a long ass time. It's just like I was <laughs> talking to y'all about that the other night when we was watching it. I was like, they would just get so much use out of the house. I was like, yes. I mean, I feel like I watch shows about a and it's a house you only see the living room. Uh-huh. Or you don't see like, every room. I was like, but they would be in the basement. They would be in Cliff's office. They would be in the bedrooms. They would be in the living room, the dining room. Like, and they could shoot like basically the whole show in that house. And it still felt like active because they were moving throughout the entire house all the time. And then they had the stoop and like the front. And it like, I was they like, used the bad the backyards that were built. That just seemed like a lot. And see, I think about that like when, because, uh, um, the Connors came when I mean, the Connors came back. And first of all, when you remember the show from 20 years ago, and then you brought the show back, they have every single detail in the house matches the original set yeah. perfectly. Like even to the quilt that's on the couch. And yeah. it was the same way where they'd be on the front porch, they'd be in the backyard, they'd be in the laundry room, the parents' yeah. bedroom. And it's like the way you built it's the not set is not a space because the way you built the set, like with the dining room and the Cosby show, you always saw it in the back, in the kitchen. And it's like y'all could, or y'all could actually walk into that room. It wasn't just, you know, a flat set where you just put yeah. chairs in. That's what I'm saying. It was like a lot going on. And it was like, it was like, cause I saw this thing on, about a uh, home alone and they built that whole house actually like a swimming pool. So they could do all like the uh, stunts and stuff. But from the way that they built that house for the home alone movie, I legit thought it was a real fucking house. Mm-hmm. And, then, and their living room was big as fuck. That was, they was, they had the bread. The living room was big as fuck. They had a backyard. Because I didn't know about the tiny New York. I was like, all right, everybody in Georgia got a real living room and shit. This much, and then you get here, you're like, yo, your whole apartment is one room. Yeah, because she's a Georgia girl. So, like, a lot of stuff, when I'm trying to explain to her, like, if you had that, we thought you was rich. Mm-hmm. And she didn't get that. In the city, it costs so much money to have that. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you had, like, when we see, like, you got a yard, you got a backyard. If I was seen on TV, I'm automatically like, they're rich. Oh, they got, they got they got mm. all that. They rich. They got room because we we're growing up in apartments and, and in, in, on the East Coast, especially up north, you're on top of each other. And to even afford a house, I mean, the property is just expensive, bro. 
So to get space, just like in New York City, to have outdoor space is expensive, bro. Even a little bit of it. And see, you know, you had a massive ass yard, bro. You had some money. And see, in Georgia, even poor people had a yard. That's what I'm saying. Like, could still have a big yard. That's why so many black people started moving down there from the city because it was like to have stuff up here is cost. It's not cheap. Girl, in 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 the mid '90s and early 2000s, I don't know if they closed Brooklyn. I don't know what happened, but I'm like, I don't remember Atlanta sending plane tickets to you niggas because they came full force i'm like did they shut down new is new york closed what happened it was just a younger generation that had seen their parents struggling and living in cities and people started being like you could take the same amount of money down to atlanta Mm -hmm. and you could have this and you could have this and you could have this and it was like hold up (laughs) let me get the fuck up out of here I get it. And they came down there making all kinds of noise. I'm like, yo, we don't need y'all yelling like this. Y'all are wild. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back. Hope you've been enjoying the show so far. Let's get back into it. I can say that my uh, favorite supporting character was a cockroach. Carl Anthony Payne. I've always thought that nigga was fine since I was a kid. Since I was a kid, I thought that nigga was cute. And I know he was little, and I don't care. I was like, you know what? And then when he got on Martin, I was like, oh, my boy got a job. Coley Cole. Yeah, he's funny. He is funny. And I know people... And like, like, there's a lot of good com- comedic timing on that show from people that didn't do uh, comedy, which I think is a testament to the writing. That's true. Because there was sometimes, like, I can't say, like, with Elvin, because sometimes Elvin's character was kind of cringeworthy. But then he would have those moments where he would get his little jokes off. And of course, the twins. Now, I do think it was cute that they named them Winnie and Nelson. But I also think it's weird that you named your kids after a married couple. Like, I get what you did. But also, I was like, hmm, that's strange. My favorite moment is when um, Olivia's on this whole Japanese kick. And she's saying hi to everybody in Japanese. And she's saying yeah. Ohio. And she says it to the twins. And she goes, Ohio. And the kids go, New Jersey. New Jersey, and yeah. I- Locked it. It's so good. Simple joke. And so many little simple jokes. And it was like a, still, it was a, it was a joke that like a ten year old could get too. Yeah, it's great. But that's what was so good about the show is like it was such a perfect family show because you were everybody was laughing at something different. I was sitting on a couch with my mom, and you know my dad would be sitting in his chair, and I'm with my brother who's a teenager, and what I'm laughing at is like Rudy, she's cracking me up. Mm-hmm. And I'm laughing at him being silly and my mom's laughing at the dynamics of raising children and my brother's laughing at what angst a teenager goes through. It offered mm-hmm. everybody everything at once. It's really fucking brilliant. Well, I think it was the only time that I really got to see like black teen angst because I think a lot of times as a black teen, you don't get to have angst because you can't be in here having an attitude. You can't slam no doors because your parents will take the door off. Um... So I think it was a way to see, like, black kids. I was the moody kid. I just think, I don't even think, like, I'm starting to think, like, I'm starting to try to, like, change my language a lot. Like, it's not even that as black people we're not allowed, because that gives this impression that, like, in our own homes, that we're not doing this stuff. What it is is that it just hasn't been made visible. Right. But I was an angsty child. I definitely was a moody little, little kid. I went through a whole alternative music phase where I would just sit in my room with a black light 
and like shit from Spencer's gifts and just be in the dark and I wasn't talking to nobody, you know, and my mom would just let me go through my little like, yeah, but, yeah, you're right. I, but I mean, Spencer's did do a lot for the black light industry. Um, <laughs> Spencer's did a lot for the black light poster industry. Cause I know I did have a, a black light bone Doug and harmony poster, but I had all types of Jimi Hendrix shit in my room. My brother asked me if I was on heroin. What? Yeah. Cause I was weird, like for, you know, I was the first kind of breakout weirdo in my family. Like my brothers just did what everybody in the neighborhood was doing, you know, right. play, mess with basketball, went, you know, shopping where everybody went shopping, listen to rap. And I was kind of a weirdo, you know, I liked, my, I liked to do different shit. So, you know, for him, he was just like, from what he knows, this is what white kids listen to and do heroin. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the information he has. So he's just like, what's, what's going on with you? Not heroin, dog. I think there's a way, I think, um, I think black parents handle it differently. Cause I think that they'll give you the, I was a teenager. I understand you're a teenager. I'm gonna let you be. But what you're not going to do is talk to me crazy and slam doors in my house. I think there's a different type of approach sometimes that black parents take where it's Mm -hmm. like, because, you know, we would always hear about our white friends calling their mother a bitch and they get to live to tell the story. You know, it's like, oh, so your mother didn't choke you. Hmm. Interesting. Tell me more. I wouldn't talk to my mom like that. No, because you know, you died, but you also respected her. But I definitely slammed a few doors and shit. I definitely did shit like that. I slammed the door and my mother made sure when I came out that room, we had a strong conversation. About yeah, but you still slammed it. I'm saying we still did the shit. I tried it, and but like, I didn't do oh, it again. Your parents are gonna be like, "All right, you don't get don't do that in my house." Or like, this is you know, yeah, my mother said stuff, but that's just her raising me. But I still was an angsty little kid and did stuff, and I don't, you know, I think that we go through that. I just think it's like we just gotta change that narrative that we weren't we're not allowed to be like feelings feeling not things. like feelings and no because i know we feel things because it's it's and my I know parents we, not like not understanding of that you know what i'm saying like my my mother understood that i was a teenager and i was moody and i was angsty and i was gonna have attitudes sometimes and there was times when i definitely said super slick shit to my mother and she just let it go like this bitch is just on her shit. And it was times when I said super slick shit to my mother and she checked the fuck out of me for it. Like, both I don't know if I ever got away. I don't know if I ever got away with slick shit. I was also too scared to really try slick shit because for me, it was like, as soon as she tells me that I can't watch Buffy and I can't go outside to see my friends, it's going to be over. So I paid a lot of times. I was just so conscious of the consequences. That was just like, I know if I say something slick to me, she's going to go to fuck off. And I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. But sometimes you're like, yo, man, I'm going to just try this slick shit just one time. So yeah, what I did was see- I improvised my shit. So when I wanted to say something slick, I would say it in a sing-songy kind of way to, 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 to hope that she... I mean, I was also a theater kid. So right. I'm like, well, if I say this slick shit, but I kind of say it in a song, she's not going to catch it. Right. And then she caught on. And she's like, you think I don't know when you do this sing-songy shit, you're saying something slick? But he was... Don't try me. And I'm like, I got it. I got it in there a little bit. I tried it. I got it in got there a little, little bit. She and caught on, dog. Day to figure out a new angle. They got me, I know sucking your teeth was something that got, they didn't play that game at all. The sucking of the teeth, that was not allowed. So 
Oh yeah, cockroach. Um, so it's my favorite part of the show. So it's the black ass confession. Da, 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 da. We have music, but I just like to be silly. Um, so the black ass confession is a so it is a movie or TV show that you that's like you know kind of not super iconic of black culture, whatever that everyone knows about that you haven't seen or something you can't do. So I think my main, my main example is always, uh, I've never seen uh, Bebe's Kids or Baby Boy, and I can't play spades. I know the concept of spades, but I also know that I renege constantly. So I quit fucking with it. Hmm. And I have to have all... I have to have both. I have to have something I can't do anything or is one or the other. One or the other. Okay. Um, I can't roller skate. Is that a black thing? I thought that was everybody. I feel like black people love it. I don't know. I do know I that every time I be seeing this, like black people just be skating and dancing and bopping and zooming. I like I can't do that. I do I know I do know I also that was like Dutch at all. Okay. Which is a really, that's a black girl shame. To not oh. be able to double dutch. Okay, so you can't you can't roller skate, you can't double dutch. Um, nope. you're right, because a black skating ring was the only time I saw full-on adults really like because like a cascade skating ring in Atlanta, there was multiple nights where it was just adults skating. Yeah, no, it's like a thing, and I definitely it, it can't is- do it. You can't roller skate. No one ever took you roller skate when you was a kid. Oh, I've been taken a bunch of times. <laughs> they didn't give you the little walker thing like they do with ice skating rings, or somebody holds your hand, or you never had to think with the thing for your girl. Damn. I know I got to a certain age where I'm just like I'm too top heavy for these fucking skates. But I can ski. Okay, come on now. Wait. Was it what was it about roller skating that was fucking you up? Was it like you were on wheels? Like I, I bet you, if I did it now, I could probably do it. But when I was a kid, it was just too. I was really bad at like coordination. Like I uh, learned how to ski by someone like really taking the time, time to teach me. And even now, if I like went on a mountain, I would still need a refresher. I wouldn't just be able to get out there and bust a crazy. Guy. I've been gone skiing in years, but it's like I just fell a bunch, and I think I was just like, I'm not beat. And I just put the shit up, and I didn't care to care to learn it. Also, that floor is hard as fuck. It's hard, and it's just like I don't care about this enough to go through this. I remember skating being a big thing, like because there's a skating ring in our neighborhood, and but I grew up in like a diverse neighborhood in Atlanta, so everybody would go roller skating. It wasn't until I was. Yeah, like, I mean, there's roller skating rinks everywhere, but I know right. like it's black people love to do it. Right, like, because I can tell you, up, they be having moves. They be like doing the shits. I don't. It's a whole dance routine. Yeah, I can't be moving and doing none of that. I'm not nice, bro. Be lucky if I could get around once without falling. I could never figure out how to skate backwards. I don't even know how to stop right without falling. With the foot like, in the front, I, I be stopping too hard and just be falling. Oh, it's real smooth, kind of. Yeah. Well, my mom, I got roller skates one time for Christmas. So, I've had got people. I've had skates. I've owned them. I had the Fisher Price ones that you stretch those out. Adjustable to joints. Yo, those will kill you. I don't give a fuck with nobody. And then I, and then I got real skates. I had skates. 
I don't know why they thought that we should be on roller skates on asphalt. That's the most dangerous fucking. There's nowhere to better way to die. People used to skate in the neighborhood. I know people skating around the neighborhood. It seems I, it looks crazy. I don't know how people was doing it because you hit anything, bro. It's a wrap. Well, if there's a crack in that, I mean, even a seam in the sidewalk, you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my whole face. I remember that. But I can say also that I uh I will piggyback off your black ass confession. I also cannot double dutch. And I try I can twirl the rope, but there was just yeah, there I was that do. magic moment where you jump in, and I would always fuck that moment up. Because it was like, because I was like this, because for you to jump in, the rope had to be on top and the bottom at the same time. Yeah. And I would always try to, I would catch, uh, my timing was always off where the rope was on the upswing and I would end up running into the rope. They used to like, be like, you can start in the middle. And I still could Start in the middle. And then I'm like, okay, how the fuck? Because they just wanted mad people jumping. But even then I couldn't do it. You know what's so fucked up? I couldn't do it. And then my mama uh, was doing it in the neighborhood. And I was trying to learn. And my mama was like, oh, you can't. I got you. And then my mom jumped in and started doing it. And I'm like, lady, you just want to show yeah. me up? She showed me yeah, up, right. dog. She's a beast, dog. She is a total beast. Okay, we got two more questions. So do you think, because we can't go without talking about this. Uh, do you think? The legacy of the Cosby Show can still be preserved despite the sexual assault charges that Bill Cosby is serving now. I don't even. I don't. You know what? I don't. I don't know what that means. I'm gonna still watch it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are just like. I understand. Like I don't know that legacy being preserved means or doesn't. I feel like that's up Mm. to each individual. It's like oh, you. What? How do you feel? I feel like what he did was very horrible, but. I also feel okay with watching the show and I, I don't I don't have a conflict with the two. But there might be some people that do. So at the end of the day, like his legacy is tarnished, period. You know? Right. The show to me is still good and I can watch the show like like I was joking around when I was saying on live, but it's true for me. I don't I don't have a direct correlation to the show and the acts that he did. And the same yeah. way that I have direct correlation to the songs R. Kelly made and the acts that he did. So it's like, for me, yeah. I cannot listen to R. Kelly anymore. But I can watch this show. But I also understand the person who absolutely cannot. It's like, that's just individual. I don't I don't know that I can speak on the legacy of the entire show. I think like that's just like what people are going to do. But I, I think it's undeniably good. You can't say the show is bad now. It's not a bad show. And I see, I think that's the thing that people... I think that's how I feel about it. I think the thing that we're not acknowledging is that everything, everything that people take in creates a personal connection or personal reaction to them. Like on, like we know his reputation is tarnished. We know all of that is tarnished and it does tinge the show. But for the same way that you're like, I'm not listening to R. Kelly's music, but I am watching the show. I think that we have, I think sometimes we like to all decide as a society, we're not doing this anymore. Or as a culture, we're not doing this anymore. And I think that sometimes we have to go, how do I feel about this? Right. And it has to be, and I think we can also- And it has to be okay that everyone's going to feel differently. But I think that that, I don't think anyone's really talking about the fact where 
we have to feel for ourselves how we're going to reconcile with this information and a show that we watched as a child. Yeah. Exactly. So what's the biggest thing people should take away from the show? When you just look mm-hmm. at the show by itself. I mean, for me, watching it recently as I have been, the biggest thing that I've taken away is just that uh, it was such a well-written, well-balanced look into the life of a family and then a family that just happened to be Black. And mm-hmm. what I love about it is just like, yes, that's how some families look. It's not how all Black families look. Mm-hmm. But I think he was trying to be a representation of all Black families. I think he was just trying to be a representation of that type of family, which was yeah. his family in a lot of sense. And I think that people didn't realize that when it was being made. I feel like people were like, no, he wasn't a doctor, but he wanted to have some fun with it. But it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure he was going through a lot of that stuff with his own kid, you know what I mean? And his own children. So it's like, that is some people's reality. And it was nice to see it in a time where we weren't, being shown at all you know and i like tv that i can kind of escape and i don't always need the tv to reflect what i'm going through in my life sometimes yeah. i like watch something that allows me to think about a whole nother life you know what i mean and i yes. think a little bit i miss that in black television now i feel like everything is so like hard and everything yeah. is so like life is hard and everything is so that and it's like, damn, I miss when we were just writing shit to have fun. The Martins, the Wayne's Living Brothers. Singles. Yeah, because Wayne's Brothers, I love Wayne's yeah, Brothers. It's a fun. very fun show. Because I feel like TV as a whole now is trying to really like, I think because there's, because remember we were growing up, there was like a few stations and if you had cable, you had cable. But cable was just basically syndicated network shows when, it first, when people started first getting it. And I think now it's, you know, we got to have a message and, you know, we got to have a thing that we're doing. And I think that there's a, there's a pocket of people that are asking TV, got to have this message and you got to have this, and you got to have that. But I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people as a whole where it's just like, Hey man, I just want to watch. Cause I like the TV where it basically gives you, it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's like voyeurism, but it's, you're taking a look at what this family is doing. Right. And what they're going through. Right. And it's because sometimes there's stuff going on in people's family that doesn't reflect society as a whole. I mean, but it does because I'm sure there is a family going through something similar. It's just not you. Right. It's like people watching the Cosby show and there was like, this is not the portrayal of a real black family. It's like, but it is. It's just not your black family. Right. And I feel like we put so much weight on black shows to have to represent Every single type of black person. My aunt in the 80s married a black doctor whose father was a doctor. You know what I mean? Who, like... This is a black family. They had a family rich in traditions and all that kind of stuff. So it's like every black family wasn't, like, living in poverty and, like, you know, dodging crackheads. Like, that's not Every family wasn't good times, but every family wasn't the Cosby show. And Range of shit. And I think, but I think, but we needed that because when you only present one type of black family to society as a whole, they think we all dodge crackheads all the time. And we're sitting there going, this is not real. 
and then there's black people in watching the Cosby show going, this is not real. And you're like, well, what the fuck? How are we supposed to give you, what do you think a real black family is? All right. And we can't do that with any type of family because families have always been different groups of people coming together as a family. So right. I, so we're pigeonholing ourselves really when we do that. I want to thank Sam J for joining me on the show today. We talked about how we loved how Claire Huxtable perfected the polite read, how the Cosby show was one of the best balanced and fun representation of a black family. Not every black family, but this black family and how we all have to come to terms with the Cosby show's legacy individually. I want to thank you guys for listening. Our creator and producer of the show is Judith Carbo. Our supervising producer is Rebecca Steinberg. Our music composer and supervisor is Brendan Solomon Lynch. Our audio engineer is Jessica Gutierrez. Our executive producer is Jason Smith. And I'm your host, Dulce Sloan. So join us next time on That Black Ass Show. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast network.